All right, well, I hope everybody had a good, good holidays. You know, one of the questions I've, I've noticed the last few days that gets asked a lot right after Christmas, especially to the kiddos, is, you know, what was your favorite gift? What was that thing that you got that you're like, man, this is the, that's the thing I wanted, I got it, or, or you got surprised and that was that incredible gift? Now, the question I don't think gets asked a lot is what was your least favorite gift? What was that horrible gift that you were given? That you're thinking, what in the world what was that person thinking when they gave me this? I mean, not just this Christmas, but like think back over your lifetime about some horrible gifts. I mean, I'm sure we can have some stories to tell this morning about, about gifts that be, have been given that was an obvious re-gift and you opened it and you're like, what, what is this? This isn't Dirty Santa, what are you doing? Or, you know, something that's totally not, it doesn't make any sense to be given to you, you know. I, I'm an expert in this, I've been told. Not because I've received a lot of them, but because I'm a horrible gift giver, I confess, before you all. Terry has made this very clear to me. I have actually, fellas, just so you know, if if you start out early on and and make some mistakes uh, in your your marriage, like, they plague you forever. (laughs) And even if you get better later on, like, you get reminded of them often. And this is one of those for me that I, I didn't do well early. And I don't think it's redeemable. I, I'm pretty sure that I will never dig myself out of that hole. And, um, and I got to admit, it was pretty bad. I, it's not because, it, there's this part of me, I'm not an extravagant giver, but not that it's not extravagant, it's that I'm very practical. And so, so I'm thinking through, like, does this, does this gift, you know, it's got, I've kind of got my checklist. Like, I mean, is it going to actually get used or is it just going to get set up on the shelf, you know, is it... Is, is, I mean, is it worth what you'd have to pay for it? So it's really hard for me to get very extravagant because most extravagant gifts, right, they're not, they're not practical and, and you pay way more than what they're actually worth. And, you know, I got those things running through my mind and that filter makes it really, really difficult for me. And so, so I, you know, before t- when Terry and I were engaged, before we, we even got married, uh, now we broke off the engagement later and this might have had something to do with it. But it was a Valentine's Day, and I had, I had saved some money, and had this, you know, I was planning to really do something special, and uh, about a week before that, before I had purchased anything, some, some guys on my dorm floor were all going to get tattoos, and I ended up in that car, and at that place, and the money that was in my pocket was Terry's Valentine's gift money, but I ended up going ahead and getting a tattoo with everybody else. Now, that's stupid on all kinds of, you know, levels. But let me just tell you, it's really funny because uh, the tattoo is only about an inch wide. And if you're going to get a tattoo with your girl's Valentine gift money, get a tattoo. (laughs) This is the thing I get reminded of often. It it needs to be bigger than that if you're going to take the money and go, go get a tattoo. Also, if you're going to do something stupid like that, don't do something stupid that doesn't go away. <laughs> because I get reminded of it all the time. So anyway, so we break off the engagement, we get back together, we get married in our first Christmas. I'm running things through this filter, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my girl a gift, right? And, you know, I love to camp, and uh, there was this option of this, this two-person sleeping bag. I mean, that's the perfect gift for my wife, right? 
I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, there's nothing selfish at all involved. Totally, totally thinking about her. And when, she, when, when Christmas Day comes and she opens up the two-person sleeping bag, for some reason she wasn't excited. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, she doesn't like to camp. <laughs> that might not have done. I mean, those two things I get reminded of. To me, in practice, in, you know, it made perfect sense in theory. But if, you know, the way it was actually going to play out, it, it, didn't actually, it didn't actually work too. In fact, that statement, it's the thought that counts, that's a lie, man. Whoever says that, it's just not true. You guys know that's not true. There's much more to it than that. And, you know, some of the worst, just, I mean, fellas, just a little word, word of wisdom. Uh, it's, I'll tell my boys this sometime. I'm throwing out gold right now. So if you, if you choose to push it away, that's your own fault. But this is gold, all right? The worst place that you can go is to purchase something that's like for cleaning the house or that's for exercise. Those are two no-nos for gifts. If it comes in your mind and you think maybe that, no, 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 don't do that. Because, like, she, all right, so she may have said, hey, yeah, I mean, man, our vacuum cleaner's not working very well, and this one won't really do very well, and, oh, you know, there's this, ah, what about that one? That one would really work well. And you go and give her a vacuum cleaner for her birthday... To you, that makes perfect sense. I know it. I know it. Everything in you is going, oh, man, it was good. I got a good deal. It was on sale. The Man, that's going to make her so happy because she mentioned that, right? I'm supposed to listen. I listen. She mentioned that. I'm doing the thing that she mentioned. This is perfect. And to her, you're screaming, man, you need to do some housework, girl. And on top of that, it's a gift for you, not for me. So it's your tool, not mine. So it's all you, girl. You go get it. It's, it's going to end poorly. Same, same way with exercise stuff. Like, that makes perfect sense, man. She, she said she wanted to, in the new year, she wanted to work out, and that was kind of a focus. And, man, hey, here's this membership to the club or this exercise machine, and that makes perfect sense. Don't give, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, to her, that's just going to scream that you're telling her she needs to get in shape. So stop. Don't, don't do those things, all right? Because those things fit perfect in, in theory, but they're, they're horrible in practice. And, you know, if, if I go back through my, my life and, and the people that I've known in the church, it seems like a lot of times that that's kind of where we find ourselves in this whole, this whole walk with Christ. We, we looked around enough in the, at the intricacies of creation to believe that there was a creator and that somehow we were going to need to yield our life to him. And we recognized that that we're not perfect and that there's a separation that, that exists between us and him and that that thing needs to be repaired. And so then we learned about Jesus and, and even though that we'd never seen him, that, that story and there were, it was something that compelled us to believe in that. But it seems like most of us, that's kind of where it, where it stops. And there's this idea that, that we've embraced but the practice of that idea is something that we're, we either don't know what to do or we're just un, unwilling to do anything with it. You know, kind of like I guarantee you, the, the, the thing in your house or the thing that was bought most of this Christmas that's going to sit in the corner, gather dust, and end up at the landfill is what? The exercise machine, right? The infomercial made it look awesome. And you bought in, and you thought, yeah, that's going to work. And somehow in all of your calculations, you didn't figure in 
that it was going to be painful, that it's an instrument of pain. You're going to put the instrument of pain in your house, and you're going you're to choose to sacrifice, get on that thing and sweat. I've gotten to where now in Town, Terry, I'm going to go work out. I just say, baby, I'm going to go get tired a little while because that's what you're doing, right? I mean, I'm going to use this thing to inflict pain on my body so that I can get in shape. And people don't do it. Why don't we do it? Well, maybe it's too complicated to figure out how to use this machine. I've had that happen before. But most of the time is that I just, I just don't want to. I'm not willing to go do it. And so for Christians, what happens is we've... We've, we've received all the benefits of believing in Jesus and, and that we've traded places with him before God and, and his righteousness and our, our unrighteousness. He, he, he died for our sin and, and gave us forgiveness and so we're right, we're in right standing before God. But the abundant life that the Bible talks about, we never really get to the place that we experience it because we're not willing to practically walk out following Jesus. And a lot of times at church, we'll kind of talk in the clouds and kind of talk in a, in a heady way about what it means to believe in Jesus. And this move series, what we want to do is take that, and over the next few weeks, we just want to make it as practical as possible. What does it mean to actually follow him and walk it out? And, and a few years back, this is exactly where I found myself. I had believed in Jesus. I had learned some things about him. But I didn't know and wasn't sure that I wanted to walk in him. And I met this guy who uh, pulled out a, a Kleenex, I mean, not a Kleenex, but a napkin on the, on the table, and he drew a little picture. Now, he, he didn't tell me that he stole that picture from somebody else, so I thought it was his, his kind of picture. And I, I think in pictures, so if somebody draws, I mean, a picture, it just, boom, things started to make sense to me. And, and then I found out later on, hey, psh, he stole this from the Navigators, this college ministry that's existed for a long time. But, but that day, it had so much impact on me. And I want to put it up on, here on the screen for you. This, this series of move, we're going to kind of walk through the six different parts of this diagram. And it's called The Wheel. And uh, what it is, it's kind of a snapshot, uh, a, a picture of what a mature, growing Christian life should look like. Okay. And you can picture it like the wheel on your car, and you've got the center, some spokes, and then the, the tire on the outside of the wheel. And the, the center of, of the Christian life, where the power comes from, if you take that wheel off your car and set it to the side, it's got nothing. But if it's connected to that, then it can actually serve its purpose and move forward and have a lot of power. The center of the Christian life is Jesus. And that seems very simple. That's the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus is always the right answer. But, but in this case... It's really big to get that Jesus is at the center of that Christian's life because we're real quick to put ourselves at the center. Our goals, our objectives, our vision for our life, our purposes, all, all us at the center. And when you put you at the center, when I put myself at the center, it, it breaks. The only way this thing has any power is if the God of all creation is at the center of it. And so the beginning of this thing is, man, Christ has to be the center. He has to be the center in that a decision has been made to turn from yourself and your sin and to put your faith in him. And he has to be at the center daily that you continue to do that, continue to put your focus on him, continue to trust in him, continue to not trust in yourself and in your ways, but to turn all of your attention to him. And then as that believer begins to grow, he grows in in kind of two different ways. There's two relationships. There's the relationship vertical with God. 
in the relationship horizontal with the people around us. And in that vertical relationship, the two ways that we grow with, with our relationship with, with Jesus is, if you look at that bottom spoke, it's his word. That he has revealed himself to us through his word. And so, if we're going to grow in that relationship, we're going we're gonna to know it. We're going we're gonna to read it. We're going to meditate on it. Think deeply about it. We're going to memorize it. We're going to go places and hear it taught and think deeply about that. We're going we're gonna to try to get our mind and our hearts around what he has said to us if we're going to grow that relationship. In that other piece, the vertical one there is prayer. We're going to, just like in any relationship, we're going to talk continually, not just little parts, but we're just going to be in a conversation with God, an ongoing conversation where we, we talk and we, we ask, but we also just share our heart. We, we listen and open ourselves up to hear from him, and we grow in both of those areas. We grow a relationship with our God. And then there's the horizontal spokes, fellowship and witnessing. Fellowship would be the, the relationship we have with other people who have trusted in Jesus in the, in the body of Christ, that we, we fellowship with one another. It's all those one another verses that we look back in the day that we, that we try to challenge and encourage and get into one, one another's lives and help each other grow in this, in this following of Jesus. And then the other spoke is witnessing. That means in the relationships that we have around us with people who, who haven't been introduced to Jesus, who, who haven't understood the gospel, who, who don't know about the hope that is in us, we're growing friendships, and in those friendships, we're looking for opportunities to, to talk about this thing that, that changed our life. Then the outside, which is really the part that I think when I saw this wheel, it, it just blew me away, which it shouldn't be. This should be, I mean, I remember growing up, there, you know, there uh, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Anybody know that song? I mean, we sing it all the time. And somehow, it never really clicked into me, which just shows you that you can hear something a whole lot of times, and it's back there, but it never went from here really into my heart. That if I'm going to grow in this relationship with Jesus, it's going to be because I actually do what he asked me to do. So if I'm reading his word and he reveals something to me, well, guess what? That's going to be a priority for me to go make that thing happen and obey it. If I'm, if I'm praying and I sense that he's, he's telling me to do something, man, man, I do it. A few years ago, I had a friend that I, I was talking to him. Uh, this is an example of fellowship. I said, I think that God has been leading me to do this for a year, but I've been slow in doing it. In so many words, I said that. And he goes, what? You mean God's been telling you to do something for a year and you ain't done it yet? I mean, just the question, like, are you crazy? What are you thinking? The God of the universe who died and gave you life, now he's asked you to do something and you're not going to do it. If this wheel is going to roll, it's going to be because, and it's going to move forward. It's like if you have a flat tire, your car's not going anywhere. If it's going to move, it's going to move because God reveals things to us and it's this active relationship where then we move forward. Or in fellowship, a friend of yours challenges you in an area or encourages you in an area and you begin to move. You move. In obedience. And so over the next few weeks, like I said, there's six different sections. And the navigators, the folks who, who kind of came up with this deal, they've taken six different verses, or two different verses for each section. So 12 all together. And they said, man, you, it would be awesome to memorize these verses. And so after this guy showed it to me on the napkin, show me those verses. I, that's kind of the first verses I ever memorized. I, I put those things to memory. And today, the rest of our time, we're going to spend focused on this, this centerpiece, Christ at the center of the believer's life. 
And last week, Charlie talked about one of those verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And today, the one that I want to focus on is is Galatians 2.20, which is one that you may have heard before. It's It's always been a special verse to me, but especially as I started to memorize it and meditate on it and think about what it meant. And in preparation for today, even a deeper appreciation for the power that's in in these few sentences. And to kind of give you a picture, Paul in Galatians, he's in the middle of this of this discourse where he's, he's talking about what Jesus has done and how, how incredible his grace is. And, and, uh, and then now what it means, the good things that we do, where they kind of fit in this whole deal. And also our sin, like what, what, what now do we do that we still mess up? And we, how does that all fit into this picture of following Jesus? And right in the middle of that, which I encourage you to read Galatians, especially those first few chapters, man, just incredible. But But right in the middle of that, he makes this very personal statement. If you notice, it's I. He's speaking from his heart. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I do that by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's a very personal statement. And that first part of it, I've been crucified with Christ. I mean, this, you know, like Charlie will say a lot of times, this make a great cross stitch or on the side of your coffee mug. It probably exists. But we don't stop very long to think about it. He just said he's, he's been crucified with Christ. So it's not just Jesus died for me and he's over there and I'm over here. He's saying, I have been crucified with him. There is a death that has taken place in me. I've got life in Jesus, but there's a death that's taken place in me, he says death. I've been crucified with him, and I I no longer live. You know, that's the reason when we talk about or when someone comes forward and and is baptized, that's a picture of what's happened in a person's life when they choose to follow Jesus. They've, and it's it's buried. They've been, they've been buried. Their old life is dead, and now there's this new life. That verse last week that Charlie shared with us, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old has gone, the new has come. If you're going to follow Jesus in this, with the picture of this will in this healthy, mature way, it's going to be that he's at the center. And that means for him to be at the center, there has to be a death. A death of, of all that, that you are so that his life can be present and alive in you. And I know that's kind of hard to get your mind around. Or it always has been for me. I thought this, this, was, this was a happy story. <laughs> why you why I got to go die, you know? But then I thought, you know, I've recently wanted to try to get back into to rock climbing. I never really climbed a lot of, like, rock faces, but I've been to climbing centers. And I was waiting because my boys, they, when they were little, I was afraid, like, they couldn't hold me up, you know? But now I think they could probably hold me, and it wouldn't be like, you know, if I fell. So... But at those climbing centers, you know, you'll be on the rock wall, and you'll be going, and, and it's, all, it's all hunky-dory. If, if you've got position, and then there's a place to go that's a little bit higher, and you can, you can reach and grab it, and safely, like, transition your weight, and never really be at any risk, right? I mean, you, you, you've got solid, secure place, and here's a solid, secure place, and, and you're in control the whole time. That, that's fun. 
It's not so much fun when that next thing that you have to get to is far enough away that you have to give up your current position to grab that new hold. Because that means this, this security and this safety and this place that you have right now, you're going to have to die to that to have this next higher, better place. So this abundant life that's in Christ, Paul is saying, man, the old life has to die so that this new life can be possible. And there's a, there's a risk and there's a jump, and that's the reason he says it's by faith because there's a move that has to be made to, for that to be true. A death that has to take place. Charlie said before that his dream growing up was to be a basketball player. And little known fact, I also had the same dream. So I would, I would love to see Charlie age 10 and Mark age 10 in like a one-on-one game. I think that would be hilarious. Now, Mark 40-plus and Charlie 40-plus, I don't want to see that game, so don't even suggest it. But, but there was a day. I mean, growing up, there were highlight films of uh, Magic and Bird and Isaiah Thomas and Charles Barkley and, of course, Jordan and uh, Dominique Wilkins. Anybody, anybody understand me? I mean, I, I would watch those highlight films. Uh, that and Good Times were about all I watched on TV. Uh, every once in a while, I'd sneak and watch a little Heat of the Night. You know, I remember that one. But anyway, uh, but I thought I was going to be a basketball player, and I, I practiced a lot because it was a dream that I had. <laughs> and then I started to realize, man, people were getting taller than me and faster than me. And while I had these skills that I had worked really hard to, to, to hone, I, I, I was still. And then it got to the point where I was fouling out of all of my basketball games. And it wasn't because I was reaching or slapping folks. They were all offensive fouls because I was too aggressive going to the basket. I, and I'd end up getting you know, kicked out of games. And then I started to realize, you know what? There's another sport that people cheer for you when you do that. This one, I get kicked out of the gym. Maybe I should play that sport. So that's kind of how I ended up at football. And I had to, I mean, it really was. It, there was a death of this part of me because all of those years, I mean, that's what I wanted to be. And I, there was a death of this dream. I'm not that. That's not the way I've been made. I'm going to have to accept this. And then later on, as that became to be, become such a huge part of our life, and Terry and I got married, and our plan was I was, I was going to be a football coach, and she was going to be an elementary school teacher. And then after seeing this wheel and beginning to grow in Jesus, he just wrecked shop, and I realized I wasn't going to be a football coach. And there was a death that took place there. In fact, I didn't watch any football games for years. And even today, I mean, it, it's, I struggle watching a game. And it's not really the X's and O's that I'm like, evaluating the football coach, it's more that I see the incredible influence and potential that those coaches have on, on players that come through their program year after year, especially high school coaches. And, I, and I'm like, man, what if, especially, if I watch Remember the Titans or some movie like that, I just, I mean, you probably cry because it's an incredible movie. I cry because I, I think about, man, what it would have been like to be a football coach. This dream that, that God killed, it, it needed to die. So that I could be standing in front of you speaking this morning, which I feel like is what God wanted me to do, you know? And there had to be a death for me to leave that grip to grab a hold of, of this thing that he wanted to do. And, and, uh, and Paul is saying that's what happens when, he, when you trust in Christ. You leave that old life and it dies, and there's this new life that you embrace, this new life in him. And it's silly to think that, that you could have, that you could hold on to both at the same time. It's like a, a man who gets married and still tries to act like he's single, and tries to hold on to that life, and then also take this new life, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. It's stupid. It's foolish. 
You are now a married man. You are now a married woman. Act like a married man. Act like a married woman. Don't try to act like you're still single because you're not. That life died on your wedding day. There's a death that took place. I mean, in a good way. (laughs) Same thing when babies come into the picture. Anybody testify that a death has to take place? Your beautiful life. I've got a friend right now that uh, he and his wife, they've been married for several years and haven't had kids yet. And it's just so much fun. They're going all over the world and doing all these trips. And they're always kissing on their social media. And they're all like, honky dory. And a baby's coming. And I'm just inside giggling. Because there is going to be a death. I don't change diapers for fun. That's not like my, my thing I want to do today. But at the same time, would I go back? No, man. I know this is crazy, and I know some people would think this is absolutely insane. I would rather change that stinky diaper than be on the beach today. Why? Because it's, this, it's the most, those two things, my marriage and my family, that's the most beautiful, precious thing in my life. I gladly died of this life to have this life. And the same thing happens when you, when you find Jesus. And he says, this, this, I crucify this life I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, my, my purpose and vision and my life that I had so much control over, now I've given control over and this Jesus resides inside of me and he lives he lives his life through me. And if you want to really get wigged out, you know, I mean, we're talking like one of those scary movies where possession takes place, you know, somebody gets possessed. Only we're talking about a holy, good possession that's not a hostile takeover. It's, it's you going, man, holy God, I believe that you have a better life. And if you'll come into me and live in me, and live through me, and I'll, I'll, my eyes will be your eyes, and my hands and feet will be your hands and feet, and my motives and my feelings. If you'll take over my life, if I'll yield myself and let you take over, then you'll do incredible things, and that's the best possible abundant life, full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, which, by the way, I just quoted, a, the, these are the fruits of the Spirit that come because Jesus indwells us. All the things that the whole world is screaming and crying out for, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, not possible on your own. Possible if you yield yourself to the possession of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And Paul says, Christ in us. This is the thing. He lives in me. And this is a life-changing event. You know, if you talk to somebody, a lot of times if you find out some... Um, nonprofit has been started that's doing some foundation that's doing some incredible work and you start finding out about who started it isn't it true that it's usually that that they've had some life-changing event usually some horrible thing that's happened in their life or in their family and it's spurred on this passion to go do this thing that 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 changes the world and, and when you talk to them you can tell that the person before that and the person after that event are radically different well, the same thing happens when you meet a true follower of Jesus who's fallen in love with him. If you, if you knew them before and you knew them after, you go, who is this person? Because the old is gone and the new has come. And now Jesus resides in them. And they're different. And I'm not just talking about the crazy death row stories that, that you know, you, you hear when somebody comes to Christ. And, wow, those are beautiful. I'm talking about the normal good, good folks 
who have sinned just as much before a holy God and deserve separation from him just as much, but yet he's, he's come inside their life. He's given them hope, and he started to give them perspective and purpose. And then that next line, it says, The life I li- now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So this life now, before it was, it was the seen world. It was the things I could see and touch and feel and own. Now I've died to that, and this new life is in the unseen. In this Jesus that I believe exists, in this power that I, that's hard for me to touch and feel, yet I know more than anything in the world that it's true. This life I live, I live by, by faith. And people who live by faith, the best way I can describe it is that they live a life that makes absolutely no sense unless it's all true. That's a way that you can decide if you're living by faith today. Does your life make sense if Jesus is, isn't true and, it, and it's not real? If it does, then you're probably not living by faith. Because the people who live by faith are making decisions and they're doing things that make absolutely no sense unless you believe it exists. We've got folks from this church that today, they live in a place in the world that every day in the news, it says that, that the air quality there is so toxic that it's killing everybody in the city. And every day there are years that are being taken off their life. You know, it's just, it's just continual. People die. It's, it's an epidemic. And yet they've chosen to live there, take their families there. That's stupid. Unless it's true. Unless it's true. Giving is a great example of that. <laughs> you, you're going to give to this church, and you know what? If it's not true, that is crazy. Nothing, nothing's gonna, I promise you, nothing from Amazon is going to be at your door tomorrow because you give that money. And, and 10% is a, big, is a big chunk, right? A tithe, is, that's, that's massive from your income. Makes absolutely no sense unless it's true. Absolutely no sense. Fellowship, caring about somebody other than your, your family and the things that are going to do, do good for you makes no sense unless it's all true. And then, then it makes sense. Stepping out of your comfort zone to share about, about Jesus with somebody who, who may or may not respond well to that, that is crazy unless it's true. And if it's true, what else could you do? Paul says it's this life of faith that I live, not like the old life. And then this last line, and this is the one that jumped off this page to me, and it's the first time that I really thought much about it. It says, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The motivating factor that's, that's driving Paul, that should drive us, is not a fear. In fact, if you look through the whole passage, he talks kind of about that, about being driven by this, this fear of obedience. And he says, no, I'm driven by love. This Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And the only natural response to that sacrifice is to turn around and give my life to him. And I thought for a bit, I challenge you this morning to think for a bit about who in your life has actually sacrificed themselves for you. I mean, really put their life on the line, put their reputation on the line, in some way laid something that was valuable to them on the, on the train tracks for your sake and for your good. You know, immediately my, my parents come to mind because of the sacrifices that they made for me, but, but that's a pretty short list. It's hard for me to come up with names. And Paul says, that's what this Jesus did. He gave his life for us. 
And that love for us compels a response of all focus, all attention given to him. It's just, it just makes sense. Terry and I were talking earlier this week. We, we both, she also played basketball in high school. And, and the girls that she played with, like, uh, they needed this and they responded well to it. They had, a, they had a coach that just yelled and screamed at them. And it made them really mad. And so they played better. And I had some coaches like that. And all I wanted to do was go punch him in the nose. And it, yeah, I just, I couldn't play because I was so mad at him, you know. And then my senior year in, in high school, we got this coach who had had a horrible event happen in his life and his family a few years earlier. And he was, he was broken and humble and, and uh, kind of, you know, he, he talked to me in a way and I could see in his eyes that he, he cared about me much more than the court. I mean, he, there, was this, there was this love for me. It was the first time, and I would go play harder than ever. I would go do anything in response to that love. Paul says, this Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. The natural response is to give him all attention. And to be able to say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I'm living it by faith in this Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to ask you this morning and just the start of this new year to think deeply about that. Not the heady part of of knowing Jesus and believing and and being a part of of his church, but I'm talking about the, the practical part of stepping out of this door, finding out what he's about and trying to practically following.